When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I'll leave you with this with Dustin Chaffin. Where were you last? You've been out of town? What's going on? Like, open with that. Well, I was curious where people were performing. Besides okay. Greenwich, where else were you? <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing is like, this is the way I think is that I have to like try to remember because once I do something, yeah. I just stop remembering where I was last. I don't think about. Okay. Where I, so you just let it go like it I didn't did. happen? Didn't yeah, exist? It's like, oh, I'm always. Can you give me a state at least? or? I mean, an area of the country, or you been? Oh, you know what? I, this is the, actually the last gig that I had. Was <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did a uh, a baby shower Ooh. in Long Island? On oh, Sunday. wow, wow! So that's who books that? <laughs> Please don't give my info. How was that? How was that gig? <laughs> it was surprisingly good. Like it was, you're hilarious. But the thing is, like. You take that gig. That's so funny. Yeah, when you got a baby. You oh, get, you so gotta, now I, I got material for it. Is that what it is? You just no. You just got to take fantastic. money. You got oh, to okay. pay for stuff. You know. Oh, I heard about. So it. I'm like, oh, you're gonna pay me to come out to Long Island and do that. The, when I walked in, everyone started looking at me yeah. and whispering. It's Hilarious. because they thought I was the stripper. <laughs> and I was like, what kind of baby showers do they have in Long Island? Well, they have dildo parties and stuff. That makes sense for a baby shower. No, but well, yeah. there's a lot of dildo. You know, they used to be Tupperware. Yeah, and then now they do sex toy oh, like <laughs> parties. That you, Tupperware it doesn't exist anymore. Apparently, Long Island is the big the mecca of this, and they take uh, somebody who has all these sex toys and they sell the sex toys instead of selling Tupperware, and they have these little party all these women. So I'm sure somehow that got mixed in the brain of seeing you. <laughs> at the shower with other women around, well, you had, and you do kind of you have a stripper look to you. I have a stripper look. To yeah, me? where you're masculine, but you do have you know like you're very groomed. So yeah. I could I could see them. Yeah, you, you know, it's a compliment. You know? I, well, I took it as a compliment. <laughs> I was like, hey, no and, the gl- and the glasses just look like they're supposed to just come off. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know they're real. I know they're real. Entertain but you? I know you have them to see, but they do have a look about them. That uh, it's this is off the shirt unbuttons. That's funny. <laughs> it's uh, wow. I yeah. guess I'm just too wholesome to assume that they're going to have strippers and dildos at a baby shower. <laughs> maybe the, maybe the whole thing was a ruse. This wasn't a baby shower at all. Yeah, I opened for a bunch of male strippers once. It was like like uh, Thunder from Down Under type of stuff. Kinda. It was uh, this place called Snappers, <laughs> which the, the the names yeah does it's hilarious. I didn't even try to do that, and uh, it's in Florida. Tampa. Of course and, it is. And uh, I'm on stage, and I'm opening for the strippers, and and it's, you know, like a male review kind of thing. And it's all these women. They're all these, like, you know, just milfy cougar types, and they're all in the crowd. And it's all it is. No men. And I'm on stage, and, you know, and I'm, I'm playing with them, having a good time, and then all of a sudden, the strippers that are going to be on after me just start shirtless walking in front of the club like casually like in front of the stage like right in front of the stage just walking in the back and walking around and they have glitter on them and stuff and i was like 
And I couldn't contain myself. I just started making fun of him. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, I'm trying to do comedy. I got Glitter Boy over here and fucking Dusty Rhodes or what. And just going off. And it was just like, and, you know, and they got angry about it. And then afterwards, um, the owner was like, you know, you can't make fun of, like, the strippers. Like, why did you do that? And I said, because I'm a fucking comic. And I got a bunch of dudes with no shirts and their nipples out. Like, I- I'm trying to get the crowd going. And they could have waited. And then what ended it was the funniest part about the whole thing was is they had these brand new TVs that were in boxes in the back and they ended up missing and it was the strippers that took the TVs. Of course. <laughs> of course so, it was. So like they were defending all these guys and how could you and make fun of this exotic dancer and then they fucking <laughs> stole the TVs like four flat screens and put them in their truck. Of course hilarious. they did. That, yeah. That's the way it works is the comedians are the last rung on anybody's defense oh. list except oh, yeah. that's why we had to defend each other yeah and then it's always somebody else besides a comedian doing the messed up stuff irene bremis said it best uh comedians are the mexicans of showbiz yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> never getting what they deserve always doing the work yeah that a lot of them can do it was funny i saw um jeremy piven on stage the other night um, i've heard at broadway comedy club and uh, it was interesting to see a guy that it's so weird because I remember I put up uh, Charlie Murphy before, you know, he had, it was his first spot. And uh, it's weird when people know who you are and then you just start doing stand up as opposed to the fact that we're all trying to get, you know, get our name out there yeah. and get, get the respect known for get, the. Stand-up. Yeah. And it's so it's such an interesting dynamic. And they're, all, you know, and he was just like, it's funny because. Then the fame factor comes in because he was like doing some. I was back with another comic and we were kind of we weren't trashing on him, but we were still kind of like, yeah, you got to earn it, pal. You know, it ain't easy. You know, oh, yeah. we're in the back kind of going, okay, Mister Entourage, like you're still gonna have to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. And so he's on stage and he did something where it was like, you know, somebody uh, heckled him or something and uh, like played with him or whatever. He just did some line like, "This is a monologue, not a dialogue," and then the crowd went crazy and we were both looking at each other like, "Really? That gets an applause break?" <laughs> Just it's because he's famous. That's why he got that applause break. If I'd said that, nothing. There'd been pit silence in no. the crowd. They would have been on yeah. the, the, <laughs> the heckler side. Absolutely. So uh, let me bring in here. Um, so it's funny. A lot of the guests that I've interviewed, I've known for a long time. I haven't known you that long. Um, a lot of guys I've worked with, you know, in, at Boston Comedy Club and different areas of the business. And you just email me a lot. That's how I know you. Yeah. It's like <laughs> persistence. That's what... <laughs> Judy Carter told me in the Comedy Bible is you got to be persistent. Uh, yeah, Anthony took that course. Uh, that's where we <laughs> met, actually. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, it's but you know what, it worked. It's eventually, and you're a really nice guy, and you're funny. So you, you proved that you had an act, which is always kind of one of those things. Because I'll be honest with you, when a guy's aggressive, and you weren't aggressive in a weird way, you were just like trying to get yours and trying to move up and try to get a place sure. to play, but. Sometimes a lot of those guys, you know, they, they end up breaking me and then they get on stage and I'm like, really? All that? And you can't even hold a crowd? Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't really, you know, I don't know. I just think if you're going to be, you know, coming at me like that, you better at least have an act and you definitely have an act and good things are happening for you. Well, thank and you. Uh, Luke Thayer, everybody, he's in the building. Uh, he has a brand new album out. Uh, let's see. It's uh, called Hopes and Dreams. Uh, you were Sirius XM Comic of the Month uh, in June, I believe, and it's releasing everywhere next week. Is that right? That's r- yeah. correct. The twenty fourth, okay. I believe. And you've also been on uh, You Can Do Better on True TV and Food Network and all kinds of fun stuff. 
and uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, well, thank fun. you. Thank you for having me. This mm. is exciting um, for me. You know, you, even when you said uh, we haven't known each other that long, and we haven't really... We've like, spent a lot of time with each other. Yeah, we've yeah. spent a lot of time with each other now. <laughs> we've made up for but it. But you are actually one of the first comedians I saw live wow. in New York City when I oh, moved wow. in... Oh, five. That's why you're so good. Yeah. <laughs> I learned from the best. I absorb. I'm like, I'm taking notes. And it was at Broadway Comedy Club. Uh, yeah, that old, and it that was, old place. And yeah. honestly, it's yeah. part of the branding. The cowboy hat sure. it, like, just burned itself into my memory. You know, that's kind of why I wear it. You're not going to forget me. You yeah, know? that's kind of why yeah. I do the glasses. Just yeah, to stand a little Absolutely. different than just a white guy with brown hair. You know, it's. I like it that you started that way because I feel like it's. Uh, you and I have had a lot of discussions about this. You know, just kind of like you know, look sharp when you go on stage and have a have a brand about yourself. And you know, a lot of you know people don't care. You know, and they don't treat it like showbiz and they show up in flip flops and you know whatever. And I think it's important to kind of uh, you know stand out. You know, I felt like because I had somebody tell me, you know, when I first started coming up through clubs that you know I have too many white guys. You know, and it was just like, I, I, you know, you really, you're just like this guy and that guy and this guy. And then that was before the, this whole thing I do. And I felt like I'm never going to hear that again. Yeah. You know, because in high school I was like a punk rocker and like I stood out. And so I felt for comedy sometimes I had to kind of mainstream in order to get it. And the reason I got into comedy because it was like rock and roll. But for somehow I dated a girl that's like, you should dress, wear a suit. You should do this. You should wear your hair like this. You should not wear a hat. You should do this. And it was like I just listened to too many people. Sure. It was like 15 different people in my ear telling me how to be and how to. And I went down that road a long time. I was miserable. It was the most that I drank, the most that I was like, you know, just getting in fights and weird stuff because I just wasn't truly having fun with it yet. You know? Absolutely, and yeah. I think that's... like fashion is part of it, you know, I think in looking a certain way. But anyway, most of all, Absolutely. you know, people recognize and remember in you. Yeah, that's exactly you know? true. Like even just the idea of like trying to be somebody like the suit thing. Yeah. I've tried a suit a couple of <laughs> times. And partly because, you, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's one of my favorite comics sure. of all time, but he's yeah. a suit comic. That's but he's, the way he's he playing suit venues. He's playing suit venues. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big difference. <laughs> I guess if I was uh, doing a, an I amphitheater, wore a suit. yeah, I yeah. wore a suit with a cowboy hat, but it was appropriate for the venue. Yeah, you know, it's like you don't want to be at a bar show with six people in a suit. Yeah, yeah. if I if I showed up to that baby shower with a suit on, it might be a little weird. Well, apparently, shirtless would have been the way to go for that one. Yeah, that, I was way overdressed wearing clothes. <laughs> but uh, you know, Judah Freelander was a guy that bustled in through the club and i was just like wow this you could be do whatever the fuck you want like nobody cares like you could just you could create this whole thing wear the same damn hat what and he's made a really good living and made a stamp for himself as a comic and it was just this most ridiculous thing but he i relate to him because he also like studied arts and film and school and stuff like that and kind of went down the artistic route before he did stand-up and so i feel stand-up sometimes it is a place where you can put all that creativity. Like if you have a sense for fashion or, or art or whatever, you know, it's like I think it's that's what's great about it. You just put it all on stage. Yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, the way people say that you could, you're you're your director, you're the writer, yeah, you're everything, absolutely. you're you're the wardrobe, makeup, whatever you want to be. Stand up is all of it for you. And even when you said uh, in high school you kind of like dark and goth and yeah. stood out. Just for me, I would wear I wore bright, colorful tennis shoes all the way back in high school, and that's how I stood out. It was just by having like walking yeah. around with green shoes. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Indiana, so like it didn't take much to like stand out. <laughs> they just like different shoes. What's wrong with this okay. guy? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, we had this. Uh, you know, we did you have a rodeo team in your high school? 
We did not have a rodeo team. We didn't have team. a livestock no. thing going on. Yeah, we had a rodeo team. And all the cowboy guys, they were real cowboys. I'm like a hot topic cowboy. These are like, yeah. <laughs> so these guys were, um, and they all wore the same boots. They wore these red roper boots. Like and team shoes. Yeah. They're like Justin Roper boots. And they wore these boots, and we called them ropers because of their boots. And they were like these red cowboy boots, and these like with flat whatever. And, and that was they were just known as the ropers, and they would come through. You could letter in rodeo, and a guy like a letterman jacket with a letter, and then has a bull on it. Like it was just ridiculous. That's that's very Texas yeah. sounding. Oh yeah, and yeah. we they hated me because I'd wear a cowboy hat and shit, but then I'd be like you know eyeliner, yeah, let me watch all their emotions, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they couldn't deal with it. <laughs> so it was a lot of uh, me and the real cowboy guys yeah. fighting and stuff your later jacket yeah. had morrissey <laughs> yeah exactly on it that was my whole crew morrissey <laughs> depression mode yeah that was we were the freaks but uh but yeah well it's the and it's funny about stand-up because it's like we all find each other in this weird craft and business and it's like and we're all misfits to some degree you know we most of us we know how we're normal and you have a decent upbringing and everybody's but at the same time like your green shoes or whatever you still feel like you didn't maybe belong in your town like, oh yeah you know and you just feel like you're off and like that's how i feel and it's like and then we and then we all find ourselves these little hallways or these little green rooms or these little places you know in front of comedy clubs or bars or wherever we're getting up and then you connect to people you know, and you find people and it's like, you know, the Anthony and you and certain people, I, you know, I never thought, you know, I would have people that get me so much sometimes, you know, people like you and I are very different, but we get each other on a very base level. And I think it's like a little that we're not going to get back home. Right. You know, people just, you know, it's just that's what's nice about stand up. Well, we've gone through similar stuff, even though we it's it's different in the details. The story is kind of the same with comedians is that yeah. if we all got to this place yeah then something went wrong previously yeah. for us like something <laughs> or right or, or yeah, right, it really depends how you I guess look it, at it how yeah. you look at it, but there's yeah. like i feel like the things that the people that things went really right in indiana stayed yeah. in indiana because yeah. there was no reason to what was everybody pushing like before you had this nonsense of being a performer what i mean like a bank job like what what a lawyer like what you had that look like all-star regular white guy thing so what what were people pushing on you or did you feel like it encouraging you yeah i don't know that anyone necessarily pushed like a career like my brother's a psychologist so i was going to be a psychologist oh you were oh i didn't see that that okay. was one thing I, I wanted to be a lawyer that was I one that. thing. That makes more sense. That's not necessarily like my family pursuit, though, because my okay. dad's a preacher. So, oh, that's right. Uh, Bible college was uh, <laughs> suggested. Yeah. Because my siblings all went to Bible college. Did, how did you have a religious like uh, moment in your life? Like, were you going to go down that road at all? Well, I would say. I, I identify as Christian. If we want, uh, no, but I mean, like you but, know, I was a missionary, so I'm just yeah. wondering if you like tried to like maybe be a profession or something. Sure, like well, that's the thing. Like, I still would say like I, I just viewed Christianity a little differently than like profession okay. stuff because yeah. partly because my dad, um, I guess you could say he was kind of fired from a church, but oh, really? it, it, but it was only it wasn't like scandal. It was like <laughs> oh, we don't have enough people here. So it was business related. Nah, it was kind of like, yeah. we want to be a church of a thousand instead of just 500. Mm -hmm. And we don't think that you're the right guy to get yeah. a thousand people. And we want our, I mean, literally, yeah. and I see behind the curtain, the giving wouldn't be, we want yeah. to have more giving so we can build more stuff. Yeah, and he, needed, he needed a street team. Yeah, he yeah. needed a street team. He needed <laughs> Barkers. And so, 
that kind of jaded me to like oh traditional church type okay. of stuff. I'm going, oh, gotcha. this is a business. Like you guys are treating this like you are the money changers that Jesus was like turning the sure, tables sure, over sure, sure. for and. Uh, I don't want to be part of that. So that's why I don't want to go to Bible school. I don't want to go yeah. into like traditional ministry type of stuff. Yeah. Any of that kind of thing. So that, that gave me probably as early as 12 years old where I'm like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And I think even my dad would be like, oh, you don't want to go into this. Like, I think he even at that point in his life, because he's older, was like, this isn't even what I got into. I didn't want to be the biz. I didn't want to be a businessman. That's, yeah. You know, Just I wanted guess. wanted to like preach the gospel. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because Christianity, you can make a lot of money in Christianity if you have a little bit of scumbag in you. Oh, like yeah. You can really, I mean, because, um, you know, older than you and stuff. But when I was younger, coming up to my 13, 14 years or whatever, it was all about these Jimmy Swaggart scandals and all these, like, Jim Baker people. And it was like they were just millions of dollars and embezzlements and things and hookers. And, you know, the whole, it's like the whole thing blew up then back yes. in the 80s. And it was just like this thing. And, and then when I joined the Mormon church, what's interesting about the Mormons is nobody makes money. Like there's no paid clergy. And so that's what attracted me to it because I came out of this thing thinking like, yeah, preachers are just thieves and they're just taking advantage of poor people. And then I remember one of the selling points was like, hey, nobody's making money, man. We give back a tithe and we just and we all preach like we take turns getting to the pulpit and sharing a sermon. And it was like that's one of the things where it wasn't like a guy with a Rolex and the you know <laughs> Cadillac. The BMW. Yeah, it wasn't like all that stuff happening. So it's like you know it's interesting like that that's that was drawn to because of how jaded I was from the whole Texas preacher thing. Yeah, you you went through it too. Like that's such a weird thing that even today, like we've got like this new generation of uh, prosperity gospels, what they call it, um, yeah. Joel Olstein type of folks yeah. where it's like oh you're supposed to make money and i'm supposed to make money we're all supposed to be rich and we're all supposed to have money and have big cars and nice watches and it's like i i mean that's not in the bible yeah. so like i don't know and it's interesting how people buy into that yeah, yeah, yeah. and like partly because i you know i even have a joke about it on my album just like people don't read the bible yeah like you people quote a little piece of it or they say they know the bible yeah. but then you actually talk to them and it's like oh you know i I read a thing once, or you know, I kind of <laughs> heard about this. It's yeah. usually secondhand Bible knowledge, or third or fourth. It's a oh. game of telephone. By the time <laughs> you actually hear Absolutely. anything, somebody, yeah, um, yeah, I think it's. Oh yeah, I mean the Bible. I I read that thing in Spanish and English, and um, you know that that's the one thing I did enjoy about becoming a missionary was. I did enjoy studying about religion and all that stuff. And I think if I hadn't been a missionary, I don't think I would have been a stand-up. I think it it kind of... Because I hate talking to people. And it, for so long as a kid. Such a shy, weird... like what I, I mean, I didn't trust people. And then like it allowed me to learn how to speak in front of people, you know, when you're teaching and stuff. And so I think, you know, th those are some things I've took from religion that I think, you know, have helped me as what I do now. That's really interesting. I didn't even think about it. I was a shy kid, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I was, I didn't want to talk to people. Like, even, uh, I was in Indiana uh, maybe a year ago, and one of my parents' old family friends uh, saw me for the first time in a few years. I'm like, oh, so glad that things are going well for you. I used to be such a rotten little kid. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, I don't, I think maybe I was... <laughs> Smartass, you're yeah. still that. I mean, maybe, <laughs> but I was quiet with it. Like, I, like even in class, like I was always like a funny guy in high school, but all in the smartass type of thing. I yeah. would say it to the person next to me, just quietly. 
they would say it louder yeah and they would get the laughs and that always bugged me Hilarious. i was like that no that's my laugh you guys are oh, laughing at, i wrote that joke interesting yeah <laughs> you wanted the credit i wanted the credit so now well that's the thing is like i think a lot of us are shy you know uh that do this and i think what it is too is like when you start to do stand-up it's what's amazing about it is you finally have control over the conversations and thoughts and theories and what the what, how to control the you know the relationship of the conversation and it's like and you're on stage you got this big magic stick and you got the light and it's like you know he's like ah I'm bigger than you you're elevated usually unless it's some shitty gig that I usually play where I'm standing there in a basketball gym with no stage <laughs> I think that. I did that one. Yeah. <laughs> I was at a gig uh, Saturday, Saturday or Friday. I don't remember what it was. It's all blur Friday, uh, Saturday, I think. And I just, it was like some crappy mic stand. It just didn't work. I just threw the mic stand. But I made it funny, but it was just like, it was just like, and it was electrician. This is the thing. It was the worst lighting I'd ever seen, and most of them were electricians. And it was like, <laughs> and it was an electrician group. Like, the, the center was four electricians. Like, they had badges on the wall. We're the greatest electricians. I said, really? Would it kill you, fucking electrician group, to have better fucking lighting? And I yeah. went off, and it was... <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, yeah. but uh, have you ever performed? I'm sure you have. You've done a lot of churches, right? I have done yeah. quite a few churches. That's so crazy. To, I, I I can't imagine doing a church. Church. I've done churches, but not like they weren't part of the congregation. It was like a thing that used to be a church, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> one of those <laughs> like new hipster limelight. bars. Yeah, like a limelight yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> I I've done a lot of churches, and yeah. I just in general, my act, I can just tweak it just slightly. To go anywhere, mm. uh, but part of that's me anyway. Like I just in general, I think I work clean enough that I can do a church, and I talk about church stuff on yeah. stage so that it's uh, something that translates very easily. But there's a few things where I'll take out a, a word, or I'll soften the way I say something, or I'll uh, if I was in a comedy club, if I was at Greenwich, for example, I wouldn't. If I was doing the church stuff, I wouldn't say we, yeah, because half the people or all the people are not. Christian or didn't grow up in that way. Now, when I'm in a church, I'll be like, we. I just make that inclusive language because sure. it also softens it for me. So it's not me attacking you guys. Yeah. It's how silly are we doing this? And yeah. it goes over a lot better, I think, just to be able to, like, oh, he's one of us and yeah. he gets it. And yeah, we, you know, we're making <laughs> yeah, fun yeah, of yeah. ourselves here rather yeah. than some uh, New York hipster coming in and making fun of us. <laughs> well, that's got to be weird, too. It's like, you know, I, it's it's weird to have core beliefs in this climate now, you know, where it's just like when you, I don't have to tell you that, I mean, I, and I understand it, you know, and it's just like, and I'm always, you know, like whether it be Jesus or whether it be, uh, you know, I got a, I got a friend that believes in ghosts. He's a paranormal investigator and he looks me in the eyes and tells me he's been scratched by a ghost. He's had black figures run in front of him. He's had he's seen a table flip up out of nowhere. There, there is nothing that you can tell him that would make him not believe what he believes. I'm not trying to compare your religion to, you know, a ghost or something, but <laughs> <laughs> but the same amount of skepticism is there. You sure. know, when you say you're a Christian in this day and age, and people get like, you know, my father is very Christian, and and it drives me insane. And it's like I have a hard time with relating to him because he doesn't know how to counterbalance it and you know it's i don't know i think it's like you know i have another buddy that's a christian you know and a comic and he you know doesn't like wean off of that he lets people know that he's christian but 
I just wonder if, like, because you're always in these kind of dens of these lair comedy places where everybody's talking about pussy and this. Dens and of that. iniquity, <laughs> I believe, is what the Old Testament calls them. Yeah, but you know what I mean? It's like shady spots, you know? It's like comedies, you know, you get around some, like, freaking shady guys and, like, you know, drinking and snorting coke. And, you know, it's not the most Christian environment, you know? So how do you how do you find kind of just solace and, and being okay with it? Because you do have a good, like... I don't drink and stuff, and so I can be around people that drink, and so I found a way to, you know, to kind of be in that environment and still believe what I believe. And yeah, how, how do you deal with that? Like, it's. I think well, part of it maybe is that I'm a little bit older and more mature now, anyway, than when I first started. Like, I guess we're all older than when we first started, but like, it's it's something where I kind of know who I am now as a person, and there's people I don't click with, and it has nothing to do with Christian or not Christian, like. Uh, you, Anthony, I feel like I clicked with you guys pretty quickly and pretty easily. Then there's some people where I'm like, uh, we can't, like, we're not clicking as people. And regardless of you, whether you're drinking or not drinking yeah. or any of that stuff, it's just a personality thing. And I maybe even going back to like, uh, what I was saying about how my dad left that church because they were all more about like numbers and money and stuff. Yeah. That kind of helped me separate from Christian culture versus what it is to be like a Jesus follower. Like he's Jesus himself was around prostitutes and drinkers and tax collectors and everyone that would be considered the unclean. Yeah. And he reconciled that pretty well. It was the people that were like the Pharisees, the people who are all about money and the numbers that he had a hard time hanging out with. Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, you're one of these guys that like, this is what I like about you is because we were talking about protocol and like how some comics, you know, come up to big comics and say inappropriate things or they don't know where they're at or they're, I'm a beast or, you know, all these things. And it's, I think the hardest thing in stand up comedy, in my opinion, is staying in at the clubs, like in, in this, this level of comedy is because I feel we get so frustrated with like people not giving us the love we want. And I think, um, and you can, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't take care of people from ridiculous shit. And, but it's like, but, but my whole thing is like, if I don't like your vibe, I don't, I mean, I don't have to have you around me. And so we're constantly trying to figure out these people that run these clubs and run these events and theaters and stuff. And it's like, we got to figure out like, you know, we don't want to piss them off. We don't want to say the wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) And you're very funny because I'm very honest with you and you've done some stuff that I'm like, come on, man, don't do that. And, but the thing is, is like you acclimate with me, and like yeah. we, and our relationship gets better because you don't, you know, if I say, "Yo, I don't like you," you know, dissing on me like that or dissing on this person before mm-hmm. they go on stage or whatever it is. If I'm honest with you, you've been cool about like forming and molding our relationship as opposed to being like sure. "fuck you" or whatever. And but it also not sounding like you know you're just saying that because I run the room. You're like you know you're understanding that I don't appreciate something and we're all in this together because we are in a small space a lot together. Yeah, we're right and on that's what people story. don't understand. That's why that the one guy that did a lot of coke, or, you know, that guy, it was like, <laughs> it was too much because it was such a small space. It's yeah. like, you can't flip out and do Trump shit and do coke and act like a crazy person in such a small space. Yeah. You know, to yeah. me, it's mostly about that. I get so angry at people being idiots in that small environment. Like, <laughs> we're not, in a, if we're in a huge green room, you can act like an idiot. But don't, you're 
right. This, I don't know. I just that. So you know, that's my issue. Yeah. You know, space. Like, don't you know? So Everything's don't. more aggressive in a smaller space yeah, because it's hot. Too. It's hot, and yeah. there. Even if you don't mean it, you're kind of up in someone's face in a. It could be seen as a challenging way, even because there's no place to go. Like yeah. you can be Anthony and I have many times been nose to nose. Yeah, I've seen you guys make out. Make you. out, you know. That's <laughs> part of how I. He's got a great tongue. Handle really being in the den, ladies. Nickery. Anthony Caffer. He's yeah. got the best tongue in the business. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> bulbous. Bulbous. Good word. Good word. A bulbous tongue. Bulbous. I'll have to Google that later. <laughs> I don't um, think you're dehydrated if it's bulbous. <laughs> But yeah, but I think, it, but that's part of that's part of everything. I mean, you take like successful teams, football, sports teams, and bands, and you know, people have to learn to get along. Yeah. You know, people have to learn to cohabitate and stuff. The whole world is like that. I mean, it's like people just. That's why it's like racism and all that stuff and different, you know, social problems. It's like because you're just not around people. Like I wasn't around black people till I did stand up comedy. I mean, I wasn't. I, there was one black dude in my school, and he was the class president, so he was like the first Obama. Like, <laughs> <laughs> in Texas, that's a big deal. Well, he was but only because he was really rich. Like, I guarantee that's why everybody was like, his parents had a Porsche, the whole thing. And it was like, I remember, yeah, it was the craziest thing. It was one black dude, and it was like he got all this credit. You know, it was actually junior high, not high school. And uh, it was just like, yeah, it was crazy that they gave him. We wore polos and stuff. But it was like, <laughs> but then I, I come to New York, and it's like, I'm the only shows I'm getting love out of the Latino black shows and like uptown comedy clubs and, you know, all that stuff. So it's like, I'm just submerged with people that I'd never been around. So it's like, you know, it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Absolutely. Well, you have to in New yeah. York. You're around every culture. Yeah. And, and Gay, I, black, whatever. Man. Yeah, I've been, and I kind of had the same thing when I, especially the first five, six years in New York City yeah. was, I got to go do the black room or yeah. urban room or Latin room or whatever it is because um, I'm a white guy and white you know clubs have all right, well, we got those guys and you yeah. haven't been doing it long that's, enough or we don't know you or exactly whatever exactly what we were talking about before yeah. you got here yeah where it was just like um i yeah i mean i didn't want to be the regular white guy i mean yeah. and I, I that's why i started playing the black rooms myself and, and then my first credit was the white boys in the hood thing because i could handle the black crowd yeah and so it was like that's and i it was my badge of honor i could look like this and crush a black room and it was just like that was kind of was my swag I was just like, and I got, I didn't like it when there. I still don't like it when there's no not black people in the crowd. It drives me insane. It's, <laughs> I always, always, whenever I see like a table, I don't see a table full of like you know heavy set black women. I get really disappointed because <laughs> <laughs> if they're in the crowd, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be good. It's never not gonna be fun. I've never in the history of my Sam comedy, I've never been. It was like a table full of fun black women. It, it's it's always fun, but when it's too white or to something it's like too much i can't i can't enjoy it yeah, yeah. Well, they're too white to me is always just those crowds that want to smile at you and just sit there politely and yeah. that's the too white that i don't like where it's like <laughs> oh uh, you're not i mean smiling's okay it's okay that's but, better than arms crossing being quiet yeah if well, they're smiling and they're quiet i'm okay with that because they're enjoying it they Cause, are because you're europe's like that like when you do comedy they don't like they just don't know how to laugh at our shit yeah it it's fine, yeah, but it's not going to be as it good. Feel good. No, it's going to be even our performance. I truly because you got to walk back to that fucking yeah, little you, green room and we're going like, to go Yo, back there. What's up, dude? I got to go through those doors and be like, all right, well, whatever that was. <laughs> 
And you're like, I, I think it's yeah. like audiences just psychologically don't even think about this is like the more energy they give us, the more we're capable of giving them and the more we can do with whatever the circumstances is. And but but I, this is one thing I'm always thinking about. Like, do you laugh a lot? Me? Like what? as a regular person? Because some people don't laugh a lot. I'm not like. Uh, like I'll laugh at a movie. Like I'll, I'm a yeah. laugher. I, d- I do when things strike me funny. Well, yeah, that's like, the point. But some people... Like, well, some, some people don't laugh f- when they strike funny. They're like, well, oh, that's, that's what funny. I'm getting at. Yeah. But, but there's also people that are like, <laughs> and there's people that really let it out. And so I think it's this is the weirdest fucking art form because we're just hoping that they're big, loud, boisterous, <laughs> laughing people. And not everybody does that. Yeah. Not everybody has that in them. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's like, and we just, and every night that we grab that microphone, that's what we expect the audience to be, these big, ha, ha, big, Chris Farley laughing people. It's like, not everybody does that. No, no, not every. <laughs> but it is funny to see, like, a night where... Even when it's funny. Yeah, where everybody goes up, and we're all getting, like, smiley, happy responses. Yeah. Then someone like Mike Britt goes up, and then he's... They're they're all they they turn from whatever they were quiet smiley. I've seen him polite. have a couple sets where they didn't jump on board. I yeah, I've well, seen a few, not a lot, yeah, but a few. Which could be yeah. true of everybody. But the funny yeah. thing is when you when it does happen, where it's yeah. like, yeah, we we think we figured this crowd out. This crowd is just mild. That's who they it's are. It's just because he's a black guy. Yeah. People people think black guys are funny. <laughs> they don't give white it's, people the love, their, same love they give black people. It's they their just own don't. It's the guilt. It's the guilt. Their it's, bigotry it's, that it's, does it's, that. It's black guilt. There's a lot going on. Well, that's interesting because, uh, well, you know, Mike Britt, you know, great comic friend of ours, and he's just, you know, he's really mastered this don't give a fuck. Yes. And we're all, everybody in this room has insecurity issues that come and go, and he doesn't have those. And it's just like, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, he just knows how to somehow get, you know, the charming factor is just top level. I've never seen anything like it. And I've seen a lot of great comics. I've seen better material-driven comics than him. I've seen comics that slay more than him in the sense of, like, applause breaks and things. But I've never seen anybody that consistent with, like, just having a great set every time. Yeah. I've, I've never seen that. In the club atmosphere, I've never seen it. You know, and it's just, it's unbelievable. But uh, but I think that's what we're all aspiring to. He's been doing comedy 30-plus years, you know, and I think we're all aspiring, you know, to get to that. Where I, th- I think that's the key. It really is don't give a... Everybody in this room, when we don't give a fuck, we do better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when we fucking care and we get fucking pissy and we get fucking... That's when we don't do well, you know? Yes. And my biggest problem is just like, and, you know, is just like when they don't laugh at a certain joke, then I'm just like, I can't not... I can't not say anything, you know, and like, but a guy like Mike, what I've noticed, he doesn't do that. If they don't laugh at something, he doesn't get mad at them for not appreciating how brilliantly written it was. And where I do, I'm yeah. like, that's a great fucking joke. <laughs> it's got structure. It's got a good punch. <laughs> like, I'll You're do explaining a whole thing. to them, bringing out charts and maps <laughs> and pie graphs. <laughs> why that's a good fucking joke. You don't get it. It's fucking great. And it's like, but I'm still working on that. That's my biggest flaw as a comic. If I were to, t- my top three, four flaws, that would be one of them. That would be definitely one of them. You know, write more, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then number three would be just fucking not getting so pissy if they don't jump on a punchline. I'm, the, I'm the reverse with it in terms of I, I have, I've tried to really 
forced myself to not do this over the years, which is I want to comment after a joke that doesn't work, but I put it back on me instead of them. I'm like, oh, geez, that sucked, or that yeah. wasn't a very good joke, or whatever it was that I would say to the audiences afterwards. Like, that was like when I very first started out, that was automatically the way I worked. Like, first few months of doing open mics, like, yeah. I would say what I thought was a good joke, they wouldn't laugh, and I would make some sort of comment self deprecating about myself and what I was capable of doing on stage, and that would get the laugh. Yeah. And so I kind of like over the years trained myself and also got better and better material. So I didn't have to like go, oh, well, that didn't work because it did work. (laughs) No, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous what goes on in our heads. And what I've had to work on is like, because now I hate, I hate the crowds. Like I, uh, (laughs) I have a very, it's like, um, you know, I don't hate people that come out to see me and want to see my comedy, but I do, I do sometimes feel that it is us against them. And I've I have a very like very short tolerance for like shitty crowds and judgmental crowds and like you know saying stuff and it's like treating my comments a certain way and it's like it's just a weird thing. But I know that we have to hold it together. You know that we have to treat this like sometimes we got to treat it like you know just a job or it's just a, a set that we learn from. You know, and we can't respond to every little thing. You know, I used to go off stage and call people cunts and crazy, <laughs> like fuck you, and get fights and fist, literal fist fights. And yeah. I, you know, I've come a long way, <laughs> <laughs> but I still, I still get angry at the crowd. Last night I was on stage and I, I had a wonderful set. My timing was good. My material was fresh. I was doing my new stuff, and it was just like, and the, the whole left side of the room. And here's here, here's when I know it's them and not me. And I, and I mean that. And I'm not saying this in a delusional way. Is when. Now, when the entire crowd's not laughing, then it's like, okay, that's debatable. But when you have somebody that's rolling, just bent over, loving you, and then you have a bunch of people that aren't, and you're like, see, this, it, it, she's has, she's connected to it, so, so it is funny. There's proof that it's funny. Yeah. And that's when I get angry at the left side or something. I'm like, okay, this is proof that this is fucking funny. And then this over here, I don't know what to do with you guys. Like, <laughs> you don't know what is happening. You don't know how to respond to comedy. Like when somebody tells me jazz is bad, I'm like, you're not listening to it. You've never put on headphones and shut the lights down. You're not you're not paying attention enough to call it bad. Yes. You know, or country, all country music's bad. Is it? You like rock and roll but you don't like country? It comes from the same fucking thing. Like you're not you're not you're not examining it enough. And same with stand up. I think people sit there and they just they're worried more about how much alcohol is in their fucking Long Island iced tea than the joke that's being presented. And they don't understand how to laugh. Yeah, that's what's uh, what's crazy and uh, energetic about a crowd every night is that we have no idea what's oh, going on. it's tightrope. Yeah, yeah. There, there could be a dude that's like sitting there going, I, these drinks are more expensive than I was expecting. <laughs> and I I don't have enough money to pay for the tip too. And I'm taking her out on a date and I'm going to look cheap. And, and then like, this is a, a Grinch a couple weeks ago. There, It was a fairly small crowd. It was like maybe a Sunday show or a Monday show. It was, but it was maybe 12 people there. And one dude just kept getting up and going to the bathroom all night. <laughs> and it, yeah, you were there for that one. Yeah. And you just go, oh. like. But the funny thing was, like, I'm, I guess, the innocent one where I'm like, yeah. he must really have to go to the bathroom. And yeah. everybody else is like, oh, he's doing cocaine right now. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, that's 
out of all my years in comedy, it's the first time I've ever been around someone doing that. Okay, well, here's here's this is very funny about that night. Um, what's interesting about that is I usually do that joke when somebody gets up. I go, "Well, you want to do some cocaine?" And and then this is the first time we're like, and then I, was it you that said he had keys in his hand? Somebody said he had. Yeah, I, said he had I, keys I saw in keys in his, in his hand. hand. Yeah, yeah, you saw keys, which the nativity is still there, and you're yeah. just like, "Hey, he had keys," and we're like, "Yeah, that's because he's doing bump with the keys." And then it was like it was the first time I actually did that joke. And then someone's really doing coke. Yeah. Like, I used to do this as, like, a stupid throwaway, you know? Most people say, well, you're going to wipe, wash your hands, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And mine's like, you're doing coke? Like, we all have a stupid thing to say when somebody gets up. Yeah. And that was, and then he was actually doing coke. Yeah. And I bought some. It was good. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I relapsed, and I called that other guy. It's really loud. It was on this that. is how much you hate audiences now. Yeah. You're like, I, I got to go back on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, all right, so tell us about... Um, the album, um, the little bit like, uh, so I'm sure it's like, you know, long in the making, like you wanted to do this and how did you kind of put it all together? And yeah, it was like, uh, I'd been talking to some other comics and maybe even you a little bit beforehand too, where I, I need, I felt like I was moving on to a different stage of my comedy anyway. And there's a, there's a mixture on this album where it's like, oh, this is very, you know, from early on in my act, like yeah. from years ago. And there's stuff that's, oh, I wrote this three months before the album came out. And I was yeah. actually surprised it made it to the album because yeah. it just was working well. But it's, a, I wouldn't say a different comic because I turned that older material into more of what I am as a comic now. But it still was like material, older material. I'm like, I'm ready to put that aside and yeah. not do that. You know, I'm I'm moving beyond. You know, this album's 64 minutes long, nice. and so and that wasn't. I still have a little extra that I didn't do on the album, uh, but I was like, I'm getting to a place where I don't want to have two or three hours that I'm going to have to like constantly be working yeah. to keep that stuff fresh. But I also don't want to throw it in the garbage. Yeah. Either it's good, it's funny, put it on the album, and then then I can kind of say. You want to hear those jokes? They're still here. They yeah. still exist, and I can sell it to you, or you can yeah. stream it, or you can, however you're hearing it, Sirius XM, and not it just doesn't disappear. And uh, comics like uh, you, uh, John Moses, was another guy that was talking to me. He goes, you should definitely have your album by now. Like you've got that material. You need to get it down. You need to start selling. And I was like, okay, that's great. Oh. And uh, so, um, eight hundred pound gorilla, they. That produced everything for you. They did, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, you know, I don't know. There's probably some comics listening too, like that are thinking about it, or even younger comics that want to go in that direction. Where my my first thought with it was, I'm going to make this album with or without anybody's yeah. help at all, whether it's a label or not. I just yeah. made that choice. So like, I'm go this is going to get made. Then I submitted to. I had some recommendations to a couple different uh, labels, uh, several, and then. Uh, got one one guy was kind of weird, one, you know. A couple didn't respond. Uh, got two contract offers and one that was kind of pending. I was like, okay, well, I just went with the company that I thought they seem to get comedy right now, and yeah. they really seem invested in me. Cool. Out of something, I was like, well, if you're invested yeah, in good. me, they're doing a lot of yeah. good stuff. So. Um, yeah, I if. Um yeah, I, Anthony Kaffer was, uh, if it wasn't for him, mine would have been a big pile of shit. So, <laughs> uh, Anthony is, we call him the abracadabra of uh, comedy producing. And because, uh, yeah, I just, like, I hated my recording. I, I hated the night. I hated, uh, 
you know, it wasn't as full as I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, the first show was fucking 15 people. The second show was good, but they were rowdy and heckly. And <laughs> uh, it was like, I was nervous. Leah was there. I never had my girl at sets, but I felt like maybe she should be. Like, I don't know. It was just a nightmare. Like, I could, I didn't, I felt like um, some stuff went extremely well. I, I got to, like, you know, share some stories about my Mormon stuff and some of that. I got to put that I don't really do in the clubs because they never believe me. Mm-hmm. But I got to do it on the thing. And, you know, Anthony, if you, you know, or comics, if you're out there, Anthony Kaffer, he's a great producer. He can definitely make your album not be shitty. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting on a Sirius XM and all that. And one day I'll cut you a check when I feel like I've made enough money. <laughs> right now I'm helping you get in all this. You're involved in everything I do. And one day I'll buy you a boat, I promise. But, um, but yeah, but I think it's like it's important to have, you know, like, it was, thank God for him because my comedy label, it's like, they're good, I guess, but they didn't really do anything far as like cutting it the way I want to cut it. Because I'm a, I'm a tight comic. I need certain jokes to, to work a certain way. And, uh, you know, and I also felt like, you know, I, I, I didn't do it as long as I wanted. I felt like, you know, I needed more material. So then, you know, we did a song and a thing and a sketch, you know. So mm-hmm. we really made it kind of a classic, kind of like almost like a vinyl album, you know. And so yeah. it was like, that's kind of what we were kind of like going for in the end. But I think it's, you know, but that's the thing. That's what's fun about it. Like, you, you just, you don't know until it comes out. But apparently it came out, it, it came out well. And then I had a buddy who, and you know, who painted, oil painted the cover. And, you know, so I had that going for me. So I feel like, you know, that's what's great about it. You get to do all these things. And, you know, it's like, I like your cover with the, the glasses and stuff. And you wanted, like, an 80s feel. Is that what you Yeah, I was going for, like, 80s vibe. I kind of yeah. sent that over to, like, just my thoughts over to the... Uh, art department at 800 pound gorilla i was like and this is kind of what they came back you know we went back and forth i was like ah take this out or take out you know that shirt i don't want i don't want any neck you know i want this or i want that you know but i mean it wasn't that many back and forth but it was kind of like oh what do you think about this and so uh yeah and i like your album cover too like yours is one of the better album covers out there because you see some people's album covers and i'm like did you just slap (laughs) this together on paint like yeah, on a 98 yeah, computer like what yeah. is what is this like, Commodore 64 yeah what, how how could you release that and then say that's an album like, yeah I, I'm fortunate enough to have access to uh, Joseph Patterson uh, he's my friend from high school and he's been he's just an amazing painter and artist and he just does great work so I was able to, you know, kind of like hit him up and be like, yo, because I knew because he, he's a real painter. Like he paints yeah. like Rembrandt, like it's a real thing. And like I always and I was a kid, I always loved these Molly Hatchet covers where there's the guys with the freaking, you know, women and the axes and like very kind of fantasy paintings. And so I always said, if I ever have an album, that's what I wanted, something that kind of like depicted that kind of like apocalyptic kind of Conan <laughs> type stuff. So that's what he did. He nailed it perfectly. That's it's that's it doesn't it's not the key to a great album. But every album that I grew up with had something. You just looked at it and you go, I want to listen to that. Yeah. I want yeah. to at least check that out. And that's what, uh, that's what I wanted with what, mine. What is some and, of your favorite comedy albums as a kid? Well, my first anything comedy that I ever heard was Bill Cosby himself. So yeah. that was the special. And that's yeah. one because I was allowed to watch that and you love rapist and i love rapist i'm pro-rape I, I saw somebody like somebody get called a pro-rape comic and i was like well that's interesting that you did not just be uh, a, a rape apologist but you yeah. are now actively 
promoting no, it. But. That is a great special. You know, it's, yeah. that is great. Chocolate cake, all that. That's an amazing, it's an amazing piece of comedy. Yeah, and to be allowed to watch it, you know, growing up a Christian home, mm-hmm. but also seeing one of the best. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, there's a lot of levels of sad and a lot of gross stuff about Bill Cosby right now. Sure. Personally, it's, it hurts just knowing like that was my favorite. I always I wanted to go see that. him. Like he was yeah. one of my like bucket list comedians. Was like I want to see him live. Yeah. I've seen a lot of other people, and I wanted to see him. And it sucks that that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I yeah. did. I did get to see. him Oh, you live. did. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that was one of my great comedy experiences. But all of that stuff, and there's much worse that people had to go through with this whole experience. Sure. Just, <laughs> just on a personal level, though. Yeah. It's like, oh. One of the major influences in my comedy life is just gone. Like you just kind of have to just erase his existence to some degree, at least in yeah. conversation, because you can't be going around and going like, you know, who I inspired me is Bill Cosby because I'm not yeah. really thinking comedy. No, there might have been a guy at some point in history that was like, you know, I like that Hitler kid's paintings. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There might have been a guy. <laughs> Someone yeah. like bought them all. Yeah. Like that weird guy that's in every guy. show. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I can't like these guys, this guy anymore. <laughs> Just don't put those in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be worth some money. Um, very cool. So uh, we're, we're going to play some of your album after this interview, mm-hmm. and we're going to play a couple of clips. And uh, so, and, you know, that's really cool that you got Sirius XM Comic of the Month. That's so cool. They played it on what channel was that? That was on Laugh USA, Laugh which USA. is a clean channel. Oh, so great. Like it kind of worked out for me. I didn't even know this was a thing. And that's another oh, the thing. Like, thing. Yeah, yeah like make it, more money this way. Yeah, You're good. It's good, buddy. You're gonna make a lot more money than <laughs> this guy who's doing like chicks with dicks jokes. But uh, <laughs> that, that must be raw dog. <laughs> yes, I'm a raw dog guy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm very happy with raw dog. Yeah, but, you know, I'm glad they appreciate me. But uh, so yeah, um, where where can we follow you? Social media, all that good stuff. And where can we buy the album? At comedian Luke is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of those things at, at comedianluke.com. Uh, you can get the album. Uh, the pre-orders are now, but by the time someone listens to it, it might just be on full sale, uh, which uh, ComedianLoop.com will have a link. So will all of my social media will have the links in the bios and available there. Uh, 800-pound grill probably has it on their site too, but it's probably easier just to remember Comedian Luke and go to those and click the link. It's probably easiest because it'd be on iTunes. Very and, cool. You know, I'm Amazon excited to buy that, it. So. So I can uh, critique it. <laughs> <laughs> I just get a just a just a stack of notes. If I if you ever want to do this uh, over again, saying, uh, you know, this way. Uh, special thanks to my producer Anthony Kapfer. Uh, you, I'm telling you, if you need an album like just revamped, he's the guy. Or any sort of film work, he's definitely check him out on social media at Anthony Kapfer. He also has a book of funny drawings, short stories, and jokes called Book the Book. Uh, you can order it on his website, anthonycapfer.com, and that's K-A-P-F-E-R. And you can also get that on Amazon. And so we're going to listen to a little bit of uh, Hopes and Dreams by Luke there. Thanks. And uh, check out Anthony's bulbous tongue sometime. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> Ladies, he's got Gene Simmons' tongue. That's beautiful. Thank you for listening to I'll Leave You With This. Bye-bye. Midwest living. I had a weird childhood. I think about that as I'm going to be raising my baby. Like, I had a very weird childhood. Uh, besides the fact that I was a fat kid, my dad's also a preacher. Which, I know, that's like the worst combination ever. Because, like, nobody wants to be friends with the preacher's kid, right? Well, you're going to go over for dinner? They're like, is there going to be a long prayer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a real long prayer. 
And after dinner, we're going to do devotions, too. Do you? Man. I wish my dad was one of those cool preachers, too. He wasn't. He was just a boring, old, white guy preacher. Like, I wanted him to be like a Southern Baptist preacher. Like, yes, one person. One person <laughs> clapped for that. Clapped once, just like... <laughs> I love those guys. Southern Baptist preachers, because they have the attitude, right? And they've got, they've got the showmanship, right? And they always add an extra syllables to the words that weren't there when they were written down on the piece of paper, right? <laughs> I welcome to the Holy Tabernacle of the Lord Jesus Christ, huh? And they always have 14 titles to their name, too. Like, I'm the Dr. Reverend here. I'm the Dr. Reverend Preacher Pastor. I'm the Dr. Reverend Preacher P- Pastor Bishop Deacon Johnson Jr. The third. Wow, you must have gone to a lot of schools, huh? I didn't go to any schools. The Holy Spirit gave me my doctorate. That's what happened, huh? And we have this, we have this whole weird, like alternate Christian universe there too like all this different uh, entertainment and stuff we've taken all sorts of fun stuff and ruined it basically and it's always just kind of flipped on its head just a little there's like a little twist to the whole Christian stuff that seems like you're going to have fun and then it's not right (laughs) it's kind of like buying a toy in Chinatown Right? Like, you think you got a great deal. You're like, I got Spider-Man for $1.50. And then you look closer and you're like, this is Spooderman. Oh, he's wearing sweatpants. Oh. <laughs> we got all sorts of stuff like that. And it sounds fun. We make it sound like it's going to be fun. Like we have Christian Halloween. Oh. Or as we like to call it, the harvest party. Oh. <laughs> Nothing more fun than harvesting, is there? Oh, nice, wholesome harvest party, right? And then we go, well, there's trick-or-treaters, so let's have candy, right? We'll put it in a piñata in a church basement. Uh, people dress up. Yeah, you can have a costume. It just has to be a Bible character. Uh, problem is, all Bible characters look exactly the same, right? Just a long gray beard. You're wearing your mom's bathrobe. You got, 40 12-year-olds down in this church basement like searching for the piñata that Pastor Johnson forgot to bring. I, that doesn't look like a party. It looks like a mental institution. Right? No money, but my parents have been together just forever, right? And 50-some years, and you know, I look to that, and I go, oh, is that going to happen for me, you know? I've been married for eight years, a uh, slightly different relationship than some people uh, because my wife is black. Exactly. Dead silence from the room, right? Dead silence. Not even the brown people clap for that. Nobody, right? That's because I don't have a black wife look at all. Right? It's not who people picture me with, right? <laughs> Some people picture me with a white woman. Everyone in Arkansas pictures me with a white man. (laughs) I don't think that's progress. I do not, right? (laughs) There there is little giveaways that I'm married to a black wife. Uh, Everything matches. All my colors match. I got a fresh pair of Jordans on. Yeah, see? You're the one person that noticed. 
this white guy didn't notice, right? He didn't know. Yeah. He doesn't even know what a fresh pair of J's means. He thinks I'm ordering drugs or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Has anybody been in an interracial relationship before? Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, I see you. I see you. How are you not going to acknowledge that? You're here and I can visibly see you. <laughs> Maybe it's not a relationship. Maybe it's not. How, are you dating? Yes. How long have you been together? Two days. Two days? <laughs> Two That's one date he's talking about. It's lasted two days. Wow. Man, so have you been in other interracial relationships before? She has. She has. How do you know you've only known her two days? How do you get to that in two days? Like, oh, I'm with a lot of black guys. I'm with a lot of them. Oh, heaven. Betsy. Whew, I couldn't even count the number of black guys I've had. So, should we get appetizers or what? I mean, so, uh, <laughs> that was a very unique response. She has, like, <laughs> like I'm the cops or something like that. Not me. I think the problem is nobody actually reads the Bible. Nobody worries about what the Bible actually has to say. They just throw out some verses. Leviticus over here. We're at a football game. John 3.16. I'm like, yeah. Do you know what John 3.16? Oh, God does something with somebody. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. So I thought I would read a couple Bible verses to you guys tonight. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I, you can read along to just make sure I'm following the word of God appropriately. Um, and I will be reading from a new international version. It's great. I keep my Bible on my iPhone, 21st century believer. Right? I think, you know, when I meditate on the word of God, might as well play Angry Birds or Words with Friends at the same time, you know? So I'm going to read out of the Old Testament, you know, just in case we have any Jewish brethren in here. There we go. The three of you. All right, three of you. You sure you don't want to point them out too? Like... Not me, not me, they are. Right? <laughs> All right, you can read along with me if you like. Ezekiel 23, we'll start in 20. There she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose emissions were like that of horses. I don't even want to know what emissions are. So you long for the lewdness of your youth. When in Egypt, your bosom was caressed and your young breasts fondled. What? Is this the Torah or is this penthouse? What is this? What kind of verse is this? Like, I asked my aunt about it and she goes, oh yeah, I knew they were in there, but just don't tell anybody, right? right. Yeah tell people those verses they might not want to go to church and I was like well I think if we read more of these verses in church 
a lot more people would be going, right? It's a good one. It's not even my favorite one. Deuteronomy 23.1. Anyone whose testicles are crushed or male organ is cut off shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Good to know, right? It's good to know that an Old Testament verse written thousands of years ago can still apply today, right? What? Testicles are crushed or male organ, that's penis for you, sir, cut off, right? What? What does that even mean? I always try to figure out Bible verses. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, I, I, God had to write this down as a verse because Deuteronomy is a book of laws. So he had to write this down as a law. Like God was just like, why are you doing this? I didn't think I had to write this down. But don't do that, really, right? Man. I picture like uh, when Moses had to read this law, like he just kind of slipped it in between a couple other laws. Like, he didn't want to, like, uh, just say it outright. He'd be a little uncomfortable with it. Like, okay, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. No one whose testicles are crushed or male organ is cut off. You, you get the gist. You get the gist, right? Like, I picture some hillbilly in the back going, excuse me, excuse me. Right over here in the back, I just got one quick question. Let's say you didn't mean to crush them. Like, you didn't mean to. Like, hypothetically speaking, let's say you had a little too much Bud Light, got crazy with the sea clam, right? Like, what, 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 what? I still can't go, okay, thank you. It said it was hypothetical. And if you have a law, you have to have somebody that enforces the law. Like, what horrible work release program are you now in that you're the ball bouncer at church, right? Like, looks good. Come on in. Hey, whoa, I like what you did there. All right. Okay, dude, Job, I know you've had a rough life, but you're not getting here with that mangled sack. It's not happening. It's not happening. Go away. All right? I like to read this verse to comedy clubs sometimes. And one time, a woman goes, I have crushed testicles. I go, you do not have to tell me that. Yeah. And you can use whatever restroom you want. I don't care. I don't care. All right? She goes, no, no, no. I don't mean I have crushed testicles. I mean I have crushed testicles. Oh. Oh. Well, maybe that's what that verse was talking about. No one who crushes testicles can enter the assembly of the Lord. God doesn't want you there. I definitely don't want you there. Uh, 